0: Welcome to the Giving Gifts Podcast, a podcast for real people to share real stories as they navigate using their gifts in this world. When I think about an example of people using their gifts to care well for others in this world, Kelly Smith is honestly a perfect example. Kelly is a cross-country coach, a wife to a professional volleyball player, a mom to two kiddos, and a friend, a mentor, and an encourager to so many. I actually met Kelly when I was working for a different nonprofit organization, and I have never met a person who found so much joy in navigating databases and running reports. And I quickly learned that it wasn't just the reports that Kelly found joy in. It was actually taking on the challenge that most people would fear and avoid that brought Kelly life. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, Kelly is an eight, which is actually something her and I have in common. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's a system of understanding the human psyche based on nine different personality types. The eight is often known as the challenger, motivated to protect, fearful of being controlled, not scared to voice their opinions, especially when it comes to standing up for something or for someone. The eight is often considered to be the most misunderstood, especially female eights. Let's just say as an eight, we are not very submissive or meek or quiet. And some people In my experience, individuals who expect that from women have a hard time understanding or appreciating Enneagram (laughs) 8s. When used correctly, the Enneagram is such a cool tool to have because it provides extra language and understanding for yourself and for others in your life. Kelly being an 8 was not at all a surprise to me. This past year, Kelly and her family have spent the majority of their time living in Poland. Kelly was in Poland when the war in Ukraine began, and she was actually the first person I saw who responded to the needs of Ukrainians who had found their way to Poland. Over the last nine months, I have seen Kelly use her voice and her gifts to care for so many people, and the work isn't done. This episode is so incredibly important in our world right now, and as you hear about Kelly's experience, I hope that you will be reminded, encouraged, and challenged to use your own gifts in this world, because if there is anything that is true, it's that every person, every Enneagram type, every gift matters and is needed.
1: a podcast one time about like female eights or just eights in general and like how some people describe us as bold bulldozers and but then i can't remember i wish i could remember what the contrast was of like like don't call us bulldozers call us something else because it's like we're not trying to steamroll other people so the biggest thing i ever heard that really like i've really leaned into enneagram in the last couple years i feel like it's helped me discover myself more and helped me in relationship with other people. Like our coaching staff at Vanguard uses it. We, we use it with our athletes. Like I know most of their Enneagrams, like we have them all take it. Um, and so I've really like, I feel like I've come to understand who I am and accept myself at like 39 years old more than I did, you know, previously. But one thing that really, really stuck with me is that as an eight, I don't want control of everything. I just don't want to be controlled. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's a very different distinction because a lot of times people think that we want to make every decision and we want to control every situation. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten tired of carrying that banner of making every choice for everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. And what it really is, is that I don't want someone to control me, but I don't need to be in control of everything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and that really like, ding. mm -hmm. Like that (laughs) resonates I probably
2: got introduced to Enneagram. mm, I want to say like eight years ago. So before it was like very hyper cool. Um, and I actually got like certified to like navigate through Enneagram with people. Um, and I remember going through it and trying to, I mean, first you have to identify where you're at in the spectrum. And really I was struggling because I recognized like this gave me so much language to explain things that I didn't know how to growing up. And like things that got me in a lot of trouble that if I just had had that language or anyone had some understanding, there would have been a lot of clarity of like, yeah, I'm not challenging things to be disobedient or to be <laughs> obnoxious. I'm challenging things because when it makes sense to me, when I understand what you're saying or what you're needing or what the circumstances are, then I know how to align with it. But until I understand Mm -hmm. it, my natural thing is to kind of go against what you're telling me to do because that's how I'm seeking understanding. right? And I remember that realization of like, oh my gosh, it would have been like so helpful.
1: (laughs) It would have been so helpful as a child or as a teenager. Um, Oh yeah. Well, and I think maybe just from what the little that I know, maybe it resonates with you also that like, you know, we had, you and I had different backgrounds, like upbringings and stuff, but still like I, from a young age, just for different reasons, like I took care of things a lot myself that like my peers never had to do or take, you know, like even, you know, from high school on, like as far as, you know, or college, like, you know, I didn't have things just like handed to me from my parents. Like I had to, I had to learn to take care of myself. I felt like, and Like I had to grow up maybe a little faster than some people did not to some grand scheme of things, but you know, I had parents involved and all that, but still definitely I, I took on like the responsibility for myself, like younger than most people did. And so I think like the nature and nurture side too, of like, I think I am an eight through and through, but like some of that definitely is probably because of that part of my life.
2: Yeah. Like circumstantial. I, and that's,
1: that's interesting that you brought that up because I've
2: thought a lot about that too. Of If I would have had different circumstances, I grew up very quickly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and was pretty much independent at 17, like completely. Yeah. Um, and I think that that probably plays a factor in that, but I don't think it's ever, I mean, I don't think our Enneagram type is just circumstantial, right. but I do wonder how much of that Yes.
1: that, yeah, no, for sure, because that that kind of like part of us that wants to fight for other people and fight for the person who doesn't have something or isn't, you know, being taken care of or whatever. Like we want to do that for other people, and mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah, I think we grew up a little too fast ourselves, and so we were just used to taking on the world, and it doesn't scare us so much because we've done it before.
2: Mm-hmm. So, this actually puts a super interesting spin on the original conversation because I had originally asked you to. I mean, actually, I just said, can you be on the podcast? Which I've been thinking about on, honestly for the last year. Um, but I was like, I have to tell her what she is going to talk about, but I don't even care what you talk about, which has been fun. <laughs> but there has been specifically something I've been tracking with you on, and it's just your involvement. I mean, you live part-time in poland and then you got really involved in the ukrainian activity um so i love to just talk about that through the scope of your experience like as an eight, even you know and just how you're seeing things how you're seeing the world Mm portray stories and talk about people and um yeah i just want to hear everything
1: so my husband plays pro volleyball so that's why we live overseas part of the year and um we've been he's been playing for polish teams this is our seventh season this year so a season is like from fall through like um early spring so this is our seventh year we've um lived in four different cities in poland uh so this city we're in right now this is our fourth year here it's hard to almost keep track at this point but actually february let me see february like 16th, 17th, 18th, somewhere like right before the war started, um, maybe around the 10th, even I was actually in Jeshow, Poland, which is a city I used to live in. And it's the biggest city with like a decent sized airport. That's the closest to Ukraine. So I think it's, I want to say it's somewhere around 60 to 70 miles from like the nearest part of the border. And I was there, we had lived there, uh, four years ago, I guess before we came to this town. And um, so I was there visiting one of my best friends, like my best Polish friend. She's a runner. So I went for the weekend with the kids and we were on, her and I went on a run together and we're both distance runners. So we were out for like an 18 mile run or something. And we, she had heard that there were some big like US like army planes or something landing. I didn't really know what she meant by that necessarily, but, but let's run over by the airport. So we ran all the way to the airport and we were literally just getting to the airport and directly over our heads flew a massive military, US military plane. And it landed with tons of troops and like, not tanks, but like their vehicles and all kinds of things like that. And so we ran around the airport and across from the airport, there was like a big convention center. And that's where the U.S. military was actually using as a, um, like a base kind of base camp for the moment. And there were soldiers like outside. And I was actually dying because as we ran by them, they were waving to every car that passed by, which is like cringy to me because I'm like, this is not... America people like <laughs> the <laughs> Europeans, the Polish were like, What is happening? You know, but I think they were told, like, guard the entrance and look friendly, you know? So they were just like waving. So we were like, Hey, from across the road. And I said, Where are you guys from? And one of them was from Hawaii. And I'm like, Oh, I'm from California. And they were like, No way. They couldn't believe it. Um, and the Polish military was setting up tents and things along the airport grounds and it was just very surreal and I actually like I have a like a social media platform that a lot of athletes use for like uploading their training logs and on mine for that day I wrote like I hope this isn't the start of World War World War III Um, but it just felt we were kind of like giggling about the interaction with the the soldiers about them waving and it just felt really bizarre but I don't know. And then I came back back to our city. So we live in a town called Kinezhenkozla, which is uh, probably five, I think about five hours driving from the Ukrainian border. So we're really on the west, southwest side of Poland. We're about an hour from the Czech Republic border. Uh, we're two hours northwest of Krakow um, for reference. So we're pretty far across the other side of Poland. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it was, kind of shock when when it really actually did start in earnest and immediately here even in this this is a small town of about 50,000 people like including the suburbs kind of all around the main part of the city but people mobilized in Poland right away and I was a little surprised I wasn't sure what to expect just because in a lot of these countries like not quite Eastern Europe but Almost, you know, there's just, there's some really deep history as far as, you know, conflicts between different countries and everything. And so I just, I hadn't really ever heard super positive things about Ukrainians from Polish people, but I also didn't have a lot of backstory on any of that, but I just didn't know what to expect, but right away they jumped in. And people were collecting, I like looked on Facebook. I'm like, what's going on here in the town? Like, how can we help? And people started collecting supplies immediately to send to the borders and cars started going to the borders right away. So that was, you know, kind of day one. And so we were, we went out and we bought some diapers and hygiene products. And um, we had like a cell phone to donate. And then somebody posted, they needed some toys (laughs) for some boys that were staying in a school building that somehow got brought here. So my kids collected some of their toys and we just took them over there. So the kids had some things to play with. So that's kind of how it started. And I told a few different people um, that, that I met, like, hey, if there's something bigger that comes up, like, let me know, maybe I can help. And I didn't really make big promises. I didn't really say anything specific. I just said, because in my mind, I was thinking, I feel like I could raise like $10,000, like US dollars. I feel like I could do that um but I didn't tell anybody that necessarily but I just told people if there's something that comes up let me know like a bigger thing and I think it was on so the war started officially on February 24th and I believe March 4th 3rd or 4th is when one of my friends Marta reached out and she said hey she's one of the people I had told like let me know if there's something bigger and she reached out and said hey there's uh a woman who came from Ukraine already because they were already, they were arriving like quickly. And she said that she came and she's a teacher and they're gonna give her a job in like one of the villages on the outskirts of our town, but they need to pay to translate her documents so that she can officially work. And they have half the money, but they need the other half. And it was like equivalent of US $250. And this was the big thing they were asking for, which I could have just paid it myself directly, but I was like, you know, I'll just put on my social media and see if somebody wants to get involved. And I put it up in 15 minutes. I had more than double what they asked for. And so that kind of made me think, okay, I think we can do more. And um, one of my husband's teammates, that's an American Eric. He also like at the onset, he was like, yeah, let's, let's do this together. Let's put it on our social media. And so I, the first that I think then it was like March 5th, I put it up and I just said, Hey, if you know me, you know, like I have a heart for this kind of stuff. And if, and you can trust me, you know, that every dollar you give, I will put to use directly to help Ukrainians. But I said, I don't know what this will look like. I don't know what we're going to do. I have no idea, but if you want to give, I'm going to use the money. And at that point, I'd had a couple of people who had already sent me $50 or a hundred dollars just to buy like, like diapers and hygiene supplies to send to the border so a few people had already wanted to kind of jump in that way so that's where we started and I um I told my friend Marta and so she made a connection with a city councilman in this this village where that teacher was going to be working and he's just somebody that who's become a really good friend now that he um was really passionate himself as well, like very like-minded. I think that's why we've become friends because we're driven in the same way um, about doing, you just, this is just what you do, right? When you find people that are like, this is the right thing to do. Like, I just have to do this. Like, there's no, there's no explanation needed. It's just what you do. And that's how he was too. And so he had some big ideas of how he could help kids specifically in, in his area. Cause he was bringing in tons of family. His village has only like 2,700 people, but at max, they had like about 100 or maybe a little over 100 Ukrainians. So like the per capita of that, like he was helping a lot of people. And so she she connected with him and we had a meeting set up for Monday and this was like Saturday. And so I was like, okay, my goal by Monday, my big goal was to have 40,000 Polish Zloty, which was about 10,000 US dollars. I was trying to get that and I just kept watching, watching the the money come in. It was just coming to my Venmo and my PayPal, like very officially unofficial, you know, I'm like, I'm not, and that's what I said too. I'm like, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not an organization. I'm just an individual and I'm here and I'm available and there's no red tape with me. And um, so the money started coming in. I kept sending my friend Marta like messages, like with updates, like, oh my goodness, we're at 15,000 Zloty. We're at... 20,000 (laughs) Zloty. And at some point on Sunday, I stopped updating her because I just wanted to surprise her Monday morning. And by Monday morning, we were up to 70,000 Zloty, which was 15,000 or 16,000 US dollars, which like she cried. And Tomek, the city councilman, when we told him, he had like tears in his eyes because it was just beyond what we thought was going to be possible. And so that day really... Started it all where we were like, okay, what are we going to do? And he had ideas to start a preschool class, to start an elementary school class, to buy laptops for the teenagers so that they could continue their studies in Ukraine while also doing Polish studies, to buy like a clothing allowance for all the kids to get the the materials needed to even set up these classrooms. So they set up these classrooms within the existing school, but they created them only for the Polish, for the Ukrainian kids so that they could stay together. So that kind of started it all. He had like, there was a pregnant woman who needed some assistance with things because she was having a baby soon, some other little things. And so it just kind of went from there. And I started every day, I would just share what I was doing. I said like, okay, this is, how much money we've, we've gotten so far. And today I would post pictures of like, we went grocery shopping and we got five shopping carts full of food and hygiene products and cleaning supplies. And we bought uh, clothes, like including underwear, socks, shoes, jackets, everything for this family and just different stories day by day by day. And people saw that they sent hundred dollars one day. And then the next day, I bought 500 pounds of potatoes from a local farmer that we could then give to the Ukrainians. So we're helping the farmer and we're helping the Ukrainians. And people saw that it was like hand to hand. It was every day. It was just happening. And, you know, I was able to tell the stories of a lot of the people that we were helping. And I really tried to put an emphasis on um, sharing, helping and sharing with dignity for, for each family and person that we encountered I don't I don't want to do I don't want to take advantage of anybody I don't want to you know share pictures of your kids without your permission or but so we always ask like can we share your story is it okay some people don't want it shared some people were like yes if it's going to help get more money to help more Ukrainians then yes like my my social media because you know my husband's like a niche celebrity you know in his own world um I've always had my social media private because I don't really want all these like random fan people, like, you know, wanting to just look at my life and my kids and whatever. But I was like, oh, I need to open my social media up because I started seeing my friends were sharing with their friends who were sharing with their friends. And I mean, to fast forward, which we can go back, but to fast forward, I mean, right now we have raised a little, I think we're at 83,000 US dollars so that's like over 365,000 Polish zloty And some has been like my church back in California made a great, a big donation towards, we renovated an old building to make a community center, which I'm gonna go there on Saturday and they're playing, 21 Ukrainians are coming to play mafia, which is kind of weird, <laughs> but I'm like, okay. They're like, can you come and see us? I'm like, sure, you know, or, kids i never met who like i don't need the connection it's like four people deep of how they found me but these kids did a bake sale in hawaii and have raised thousands of dollars and some teenagers like eighth graders in new york sold snacks as a their their like eighth grade project to all their classmates and raised a couple thousand dollars and they sent that like and i don't have a personal connection to them and it's like story after story like that of people who know me and I just thought like, man, I know good people. Like, And I think it goes back to you know my interest in like having worked in nonprofit, working in ministry, volunteering in ministry. Like a lot of people in my life are like-minded and they know me and they trusted me. And then they trusted me enough to vouch for me to their friends and their family. And those people even continue to spread what we've done. And so the impact... If people, I mean, I hope that they realize what they've done, but the impact of what all these people have done for individual families that it's, I mean, it's just made a massive difference in their lives in such a hard time. Like it's so hard to even express.
2: Yeah. And I think listening, listening to all of that, I, I have, um, I think a million i. Thoughts running through my mind right now, honestly. Um, But one of the thoughts I, I was having over and over as you were just talking is just how incredible it is when we see people step up for people. I mean, and to think that our world is full of people, our world is so full of people, and there is enough resources for absolutely everyone. But we've also put in so many different barriers, right? So there's nonprofits and there's churches and there's politics and there's governments and there's all of these almost barriers that are put in the way from actually just seeing people. And that was something that um, once you started sharing, I kind of blocked out most of my other social media because I was like, okay, Kelly is sharing at regular updates, Of what is happening in front of her and I'm learning and I'm able to respond Mm -hmm. to what I think is like appropriate right now and it was interesting though because there was also an active choice to have to block out a lot of the other side of the world that was also saying this is what people need this is what you can do (laughs) like Mm -hmm. and I'm curious of your experience in that because you you were so busy I think part of it like you were so busy responding and receiving and giving and just being that kind of frontline person but I I also know that you who's aware of the world around you and so I'm curious what your experience was like seeing the news and Having all these different angles. And I know I asked a handful of questions. I'm sure a lot of people ask you a lot of questions.
1: No, it, you know, it was interesting because I'm such a consumer of information. Like we've talked about this. I always want to know more. I want, you know, for a while, I would wake up every morning and, like, okay, what happened overnight? Like in Ukraine, what's going on? What's the latest? And I really found that when I started to, build relationships with Ukrainians, when I started to know the names of their hometowns, it became a lot harder to watch the news. I mean, it was important, I think, to have an idea of what's happening, but I had to really back off from it um, probably after like the first few weeks because it was too painful to like hear what they were going through. And I remember like, I don't know if you heard about this, like early on there was this whole thing where um, Ukrainians who had Airbnbs like people in the US started booking them, but just saying like, I'm not coming, but here you go. And like, I did the same, like I booked an Airbnb and one of the very first, it might've been, I think it was actually the first Ukrainian woman I met. She wouldn't mind at all that I say her name, her name's Alina. And she came with her son who was about the same age as my son. So around like nine or 10 years old. And it was just a really hard journey for them to get here. And they were only here for a little while. Now they're in Spain. They had some family. So they were kind of using this as a stop stopping grounds. They didn't have a passport for the sun because they left so quickly. And I don't know if you ever had one. So they couldn't fly to Spain. So they had to take a bus for like 20 hours to get where they were going. And even just getting to Poland from, from Ukraine took a really long time. Um, and, Yeah, she was one of the first people I met. And we actually, my friend Martin and I went with her and our kids and her son. And we went to this like indoor play place. So think like McDonald's play place, but it's not McDonald's. It's just like an indoor place. When you live somewhere where it's really cold, these are normal. So we went there, we like had some little snacks and the kids were playing. um, And we were talking and she's like, oh my goodness, people are booking my Airbnb like And she, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I just did that. Like, look, I just booked one. And she was like, and then I was able to share on Instagram, like people, this is legit. And it's making a difference because for this woman, she has zero source of income right now. And somebody booked her Airbnb. And so she's getting money in the bank and it's going to help her get through this moment. And it was just like crazy to see literally firsthand like mouth to mouth talking about it, what people in the US were just seeing on their social media. Um, And that was really interesting, like hearing families, like the first family that came from Mariupol, like when it was really bad in Mariupol and we had a family of 17 arrive, like three women, I think, maybe four adult women and the rest were all kids. And it just like seeing them and, this one of the women, like the oldest woman, like the grandma, she was a bigger woman. They had traveled for like over a week to get to Poland. At this point, they'd been here a week. So it'd been two weeks and the woman had one bra and she's a bigger woman, larger chested. And she'd asked if it was at all possible. All she asked for was if she could have a bra in her size. So I went to the store and I found one and my contact here um, took it to her. And she said, she just sobbed. When they gave it to her. you know, and just knowing, seeing on the news, Mariable what was happening there that these people don't have anything to go back to. And yet she's crying cause I gave her a bra, you know, And it's like the just the very least I could do. Another woman, we early on, an elderly woman, we took her shopping. A lot of times we would go shopping, we'd get the sizes, and we would go do the shopping and then bring everything. Um, like all the clothes and things that we bought um, to the people. But this time the woman came with us and she like picked out a few things. And then we were in a, like a pharmacy, like CVS type kind of place. And she, she just, we were buying shampoos and soaps. And this is like seven year old woman. And she was like, through a translator, she asked, can I just get one lipstick please? And, you know, think about like an older grandma who always has her face on and you know, for her. And I'm like, yes, you know, because I've learned also that it's like, it's not always about what people need. It's about like letting them feel human and giving them the dignity and saying like, kids don't need bikes and scooters to survive a war. But if it makes them feel like kids and makes them feel normal, buying a bra, buying a lipstick, like that's just as important as the other stuff you know, making them feel human, because that really resonated with me is just, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything to deserve this happening to them. As Americans, I feel like we can't even comprehend what it would be like to have somebody just take over our country and, you know, what's happened in Ukraine. Like they, we can't even imagine it, you know, being possible. And for them, it's just they don't have anything to go back to and it's like I just it's when you meet them when you talk to them and you see how strong they are it's it just changes you like that's all I mean they just you can't not have it change you you know and hearing things that the kids have gone through seeing drawings that the kids make depicting what they saw it's like it's just unimaginable
2: Mm -hmm. and you have
1: (laughs) no I love I I love Tangents, (laughs) Tangents.
2: <laughs> but you also have a 10 year old and a four year old who mm-hmm. are now, you know, you've exposed your 10 year old and your four year old to a lot of the world because you live all over the place, <laughs> back and forth between Poland and the US and all the other places you have been. Um, and so they've already had some exposure of different cultures. But I could imagine that this past year was a lot of exposure to different cultures, but to a whole different. Um, type of life even. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious of how that, because it sounds like you just hit on how that's really impacted you in a lot of ways, like to really mm-hmm. see that firsthand and to experience people who have lost everything and, and to be face-to-face with that. How have you seen that impact your kids or even just like your dynamic as a family?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think as far as like what I did and how it happened, like like my husband, the, he's just like, yep, that's what she's going to do. You know, <laughs> Like, you know, it was kind of like, all right. Cause all of a sudden everything shifted as far as like, I was super busy. I was gone a lot. I would be like, okay, I got to I'll be back at four when you have to leave for practice. But until then I'm out, I need the car, I'm whatever. And it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you do. You got to do it. You know, like, so it's all hands-on in that sense. And a lot of times the kids would be along for the ride. I'd be like, all right, we got to go shopping. And the same with my friend, Marta, she's like my partner in crime and all of this. And she has two daughters as well, like similar in age to my son. And so sometimes it's just like, all right, you guys, we're going shopping. We got to buy this and this and this and this. And, um, you know, they were in it. And I, I actually really liked that. Like for my son, there were times where he would translate for me because he speaks Polish and I don't really. Um, <laughs> so if we were working with like a Polish contact, sometimes he was the one that did the the if my friend wasn't there with me he would do the translating for me and explain things or ask questions or whatnot um my little one I don't know how much she understands still you know it's just like this concept is that's just really hard just she just turned four and this fall Um, but she was definitely like involved even last year with going and doing stuff and um for Cohen my son you know he has an experience that's not comparable directly, but in some ways he can at least empathize with what it was like, cause he got, he had Ukrainian kids join his class at school. And so he knows what it's like to be the foreigner who doesn't speak the language or the foreigner who doesn't understand exactly how things work all the time, or who kind of is like, what? you know, sometimes a little like off on what they're supposed to be doing. And so it was like, for me, it was like a real encouragement to him to be like, hey, be a good friend um you know this like one boy that was in his class like you know see see how you can help him make sure he's not sitting alone make make sure if he needs help and even um when he went back to california in like this fall he was he started school in california this fall before we came here and he had a boy um sit across from him his teacher purposely put this boy across from him in the classroom this boy came from kazakhstan and didn't really speak english mostly speaks russian i think and Cohen, I didn't even know, he didn't tell me. And then his teacher told me at back to school night that Cohen had been really helping this boy along. Like he would make sure he had the right book out or right, you know, and some people are naturally like like empathetic and really good at that. It's not necessarily my son's personality but I think that he's learned. And that's that's what you want as a parent, you know? Like I I can't expect him to have the same passion and drive towards this kind of stuff because not everybody does. Um, but he's learning and I've, it's a good, um, just co- like just having conversations with him and with my daughter on an age appropriate level of what's happening in the world. And just understanding like that it's important to help other people recently, when I got back to Poland this year, I got an award at the school where we had started classes for Ukrainians. And I didn't know until like right before that I had to give a speech. And I'm like, oh, great. So I'm like up there, like, thank you. And I was trying to think what to say. And I was like, you know what? The only thing I have to say is to the children to say in life, when you have an opportunity to help somebody else, always make the most of that that moment to do what you can for another person. Because that's the most important thing. And that's what I want my kids to learn. And so um, I'm grateful at least that they've gotten to participate and they've gotten to see um, what's important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, on that too, it kind of leads into my next question for you because
2: I think that there's a lot of layers to helping a person, and and this is a conversation that I have a lot in the realm of the giving gifts is like how do we help without hurting and understand part of understanding how to help people without hurting people is understanding the situation and the culture and the circumstances, and for this past nine months, there's been a huge need of just relief. Like there there doesn't need to be any other context besides we need to make sure that people are housed and that people have food and that people have means to education and work and whatever. I mean, those are immediate needs, right? And I'm curious on your perspective now, this is like, this was about nine months ago that this kind of all started and you're kind of seeing things land I think in some ways what are what are next steps like what is what comes
1: after relief in this situation well even just to start that as far as like helping not hurting um i even recognize and i think you've worked in nonprofit i think you you know this as well that we have to just we go into every situation and we have to just do the best that we can do with, with the information that we have and so sometimes I've told like my different contacts here, like 90, 95% of the time, this situation is going to be good. Like we're going to help people and it's going to be good every now and then there's going to be a situation that goes awry either on their end or our end, or just weird things happen, or somebody wants to take advantage of a situation, whatever, there's always going to be that. And I've just tried to hold that all very loosely and just know that, what matters is those immediate needs. So even now, so as things shift, I would say um, like in the late summer, probably, we started to see a lot of Ukrainians go back because things seem to be stabilizing a little bit. And so some of the things that we purchased were like a lot, Polish people were so generous giving apartments for people to live in, but sometimes the apartments didn't have, they were like previously empty. And so there weren't beds or, refrigerators or whatever and so some some of the money that we've used has been to purchase those kinds of items just just the very basics nothing over the top furniture beds just to keep people like you said warm safe dry um and so then the apartment owners are asking well what okay they they left like is does this furniture belong to the ukrainians like what do we do with it and i'm like i don't even care like you know I mean, ideally we can give that on to somebody else who could use it, who needs help. But at the end of the day, like you provided something for someone for six months for free. I don't care, you know, like, cause what mattered was in the moment they needed the help. They needed like bedding and towels and a refrigerator to keep, keep like, so they can have fresh food. That was what mattered the most. And I can't get hung up on all the details of other things. Like I'm a logistics person. Like I could go through and we could figure it out and we could make spreadsheets and do whatever. but like, i I trust the goodwill of the people for the most part that jumped in initially to even help by giving the apartment, if that makes sense. Um but now things have shifted. And, it, and unfortunately, even some people that I was really close with have gone back to Ukraine for different reasons, But then now the situation is very dire again and maybe even worse in many ways than it was at the beginning of the war when so many people came here because it's cold and the the attacks from Russia the missile attacks are just brutal now and it's just it's terrible and like some people you know Polish government had given benefits and whatnot to people who were here but once you leave I don't know that you can get those back if you come back if you leave and then you come back like they can't support this like yo-yoing you know and so that's kind of heartbreaking in many ways um and then in general i don't i don't count it against the polish people but for many reasons there's just not as much support out there for ukrainians um people who are arriving now we're having like i'm not personally trying to find apartments but sometimes we we've had people reach out and then we call all our contacts and finding available housing now is really, really difficult. And like, there was a family that just arrived in the train station and family of five, and we couldn't find anything for them. And so they moved on to a different city to try and find something somewhere else. And at the beginning, like the first six months, like we never heard of this. We never heard of a family that did not have a place. Like there wasn't a shelter. We initially had a shelter. It didn't get used because everything was taken care of. So that's been a big shift. And like it's really hard now also hearing, I think more consistently about like, because it's mostly women with kids that have left because it's like they they're not they don't feel safe in Ukraine with their kids. So they're coming here. But women with young kids, like it's hard for them to get consistent work because their kids can only be at school for so many hours a day and And I definitely would say the majority of the people that we've encountered are trying to work. They're trying to provide for themselves, but it's just, it's not enough. You know, there's not enough to meet all the needs. And now our funds are running low. Like we don't have a lot left and pretty soon we're going to have to start saying no. And so far I haven't really had to say no to anything, which has been incredible, but we're getting there right now. Like I think maybe tomorrow we have about, a dozen coats to go buy for people who need coats. And you know, that adds up, that's, you know, if you, cause you need a good coat, it's winter, it's cold here. Um, and so food is an issue. We had a woman, a Polish woman who's helping two families last week. Um, she just started crying telling us like they're just asking for like the basics like rice and flour and oil so that they can, you know, cook some really basic food. And, you know, that's just heartbreaking to hear that people are hungry you know, and yeah, that kind of stuff. It's, it's just really hard to feel like you can't do enough. And I know there's a good chance that more people are going to come because it's just, I mean, if you watch the news, it's awful what's going on now. And the winter, I think the world health organization, like said, it's kind of like a weaponization of winter is what's happening.
2: Yeah, and I think it's really fascinating that you're bringing these things up because this is really true for most individuals who are fighting first, like um, the front line for any relief, is that there is this initial uh, response from people of how can I help, what can I do, I want to start something, I want to do the bake sale, you know, and then it loses its its um, momentum. Momentum. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's and and it's sad because we see I mean we see that across the board you know it's like somebody loses a family member everyone reaches out in the first two weeks but then it's a month later where someone really needs to hear from someone and um this is something like i i tried to bring into a lot of conversations is the cycle of trauma which is actually people don't begin to actually process things until maybe year one, one after year one is over into year two and three is when actually things begin to surface and so we're You know, nine months, we're watching this nine months into a situation happening and you're already experiencing a lack of momentum and you're only going to begin to see trauma surface. Mm. And so this is not like necessarily a fun part of the conversation, but I think it's a really important part of the conversation to say, hey, we can't close our eyes. Like we can't just turn away from pain and suffering in our world. In fact, we need to walk into it Mm. and how do we do that? So I'm curious of just, it could be your own like personal, like what would you hope for people right now who might just feel like, oh yeah, that was something that happened nine months ago and it's not even on their radar. And it's not to say that's because people are bad or or ignorant or anything. It's to say that there's a lot fighting for our time Mm -hmm. and our attention and resources in our world this feels very important and I know it's important to you. And the whole point of this is to allow you to share that. And so yeah. what, yeah, what would you, how can people continue to to care?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think, like I said, I think from my perspective, what's happening right now is harder, worse than what happened in March, April, May. You know, it's because at the beginning there was still infrastructure in Ukraine. There was like not everything was destroyed, but now the devastation is so deep across the country as far as like for electricity and Internet and food and water and just all the resources, Um, not to mention just the heavier onslaught of attacks and how it's more widespread across the whole country as well. Um, so I, I think for a lot of people just opening their eyes and like actively looking each day, like what's happening right now, because it's pretty crazy if you really follow closely, like just how bad it is. I think if you're looking and reading the news or, you know, follow president Zelensky on Instagram, like he has like four posts a day and he always has the the Ukrainian and then he has it in English after, you know, so you can see what's going on and like, the photos and videos showing the realities of what's happening. Um, I think if people really look at it, they're going to absorb it more and, and still feel compelled to do more. Um, yeah, because for me, I just, I dread the day that I have to say no to something again. It's for me right now, I would say my daily action is like much slower than it was Like right now, maybe once or twice a week, I'm out doing something, shopping for somebody. Um, But there's always more that you can do. You know, like I know somebody who's going to be going to Ukraine this month to see her, see some family. And she's trying to take like power banks with her so that her family and other friends and stuff can charge things. And, you know, the, just the needs are endless and there's definitely something more to do, but you have to start with um, confronting it. Cause it's easier just to shut down and not look at it. Like you can't avoid it. I think, especially if you're in the U S or just farther away from it, I think you can even, but even here, it's not really that Like it's not on the front of people's minds anymore, you know? And I think, yeah, you kind of have to more actively seek out that information, but it's there and the reality is disturbing of what's still happening. And mm-hmm. for me, just like this this woman actually, that's gonna be going to Ukraine next month. She said to me recently that like, basically she just never, they never realized how wonderful their home was until they couldn't be there anymore. And they want nothing more but to be there. She came here when she has three boys that are all like six and under. And her youngest was two weeks old when they came here. Like they waited until she was able to travel. Like they were packed and ready to go in their car and they just waited for the moment when she was healthy enough after having the baby to leave and they won't go back permanently until it's safe for their kids. And, but she said, yeah, we just never really realized how amazing our country was until we couldn't live there until we just longed to be there. And I, I mean, like every Ukrainian I've met, that's how they feel. Like all they want is just to be home. And now also, I think as a, world we have to think forward about what's what's to come next even after at whatever point this conflict is and war is over we have to continue to help ukraine because the country needs to be rebuilt i you know i remember people reached out to me very well-meaning people about like wanting to come here like especially early on in the war like wanting to come and be like hands and feet and i'm like don't come right now like i'm only useful because I have connections in the U S and I have connections here without any of those connections. Like I was completely useless, (laughs) you know, like I can't do much on my own because I don't speak the language. And, and, but there's going to be a huge need as well. At some point down the line to like, literally you can come then to Ukraine and help rebuild Ukraine because you don't need to speak a language to do that. You just need to be willing to work, you know? So that's also something I think for people to just be mindful of and, have an open heart towards what can i do at that stage as well
2: yeah and i think it's i think all of this is such a good reminder too of just recognizing people from all different walks of life you know i think I, i've gotten pretty involved with um refugees in orange county or anaheim area and there's a lot of syrian refugees and um you know, to pace closely, I built relationships with, with refugees who had been here for two months, and now it's been seven years that they've been in Orange County, and they still miss home. Like, mm-hmm. there's not this um, great desire to be like, oh, this is what we've always wanted. This is our dream come true. Like, we've made it. We've arrived. It's, It's still this longing for we miss home and we're really grateful that we're alive and existing and I think that overall there needs to be a deeper compassion for people that we kind of miss sometimes you know there's this like initial I feel bad or I feel sorry but there's not always this next layer of just like deep compassion for individuals who are are navigating culture
1: (laughs) yeah and I think That's why I feel really grateful, even on a different level, that my kids are getting to have the life experiences they're having with, again, like in a very privileged way. Like I've lived in like five different countries over 15 years. And I've had moments experiencing, I mean, a lot of moments experiencing life as a foreigner because I'm always a foreigner. And there's times where I get things wrong or where I don't know how to do something all the time. I can't communicate, you know but I also have a very privileged experience within that, but just, you know, having like a sliver of comprehension of how hard that can be. And then you, for them, you add the trauma and the heartbreak and they're they're separated from their spouses and from their fathers. And like, you know, we know people who've come, who, Uh, down just down the street I have a neighbor who took in a Ukrainian family and the woman came with her kids and with her nephew and they don't know where the the boy's mom is she's I'm sure at this point like she's she didn't make it but for like months they had no idea what happened to her like she left one day and just never came back and you know I've had Kids like I've been in the school where the kids are drawing, and there's a little boy drawing pictures of tanks and bombs and blood and guns. And it's like, that's just not normal. Like, they shouldn't have to. With kids who fled on a train with bullets being shot at the train, you know, like these experiences are just beyond. So I know it's already hard enough to live in a different country, but they're coming, they're for the most part poor, like without access to funds they don't know how to help themselves as a parent. I know many times I've experienced where I felt helpless, like when my kids were sick or they got hurt and I didn't know how to help them. I, in the U.S. i I I'm in them with urgent care. I'm going to take him here. I can, I can, I can do something. And here I can't do that. I have to rely on other people and their willingness to help me. And mm-hmm. having that understanding on just like the tiniest level, like I just, I can imagine, but I can't imagine what they go through on a daily basis and to not have the resources to help themselves and to have to, if I had to go and ask somebody for every small thing to ask for some clean underwear for me and my kids, to ask for potatoes and the basics, like some of these people came from very normal lives. And now all of a sudden, you know, many of us aren't good at asking for help. But sometimes you're like these people are being forced into this situation. And that's where, you know, I think I try always in my life to look at things from the eyes of the person that I'm interacting with or that I'm seeing. And I think we all have to try and do that a little bit more um, with empathy and, you know, to just. Like that perspective is just so important to understand, to try and understand as much as possible where they're coming from and what they're actually experiencing. And to kind of tie this all together, I just,
2: I just want to reiterate that I'm thankful that you are an eight, like I'm thankful you're (laughs) a challenger and I'm thankful that you get to, um, be a voice for individuals right now who, who don't who one, aren't being listened to, and then two, who don't even know how to use their voice right now, who are just trying to survive. And I think it's really important to recognize um, that it is not easy to to carry that voice. I think that comes with a lot of responsibility and it comes with a lot of compassion and it comes with a lot of emotional exhaustion too. (laughs) And so I'm just very thankful that you're there and that you've like stepped into that and that you're willing to share what you're learning and what you're seeing and how, how you're experiencing, because I think it's that. That's going to actually draw people together. And and that's how we're going to actually see change occur and, and people being taken care of is because you're willing to challenge the way things are. And so I'm just very, very, very thankful for that. And for you and um just Thanks. for you even sharing all of this I just really appreciate it
1: yeah no I appreciate the the opportunity and the platform anytime to just share what we're doing you know I just say always like I you know the beginning of the war I remember my dad being really nervous of us being here and there was a small period where a couple other Americans that I know we were like are we good or like should we go home like what's happening and it's like then a few months after that, I looked back and reflected on like how grateful I am that I stayed and that I was here and available and just able to use, like I said, be the bridge between the people who had the money, who want to do something and the people here who had the ideas, who like knew the people, the contacts, but didn't have the resources because we were able to do so much more than like the local government or even the government within Poland immediately because I didn't have the red tape. I just, you know, had, I had the funds. I kept meticulous records. I tried to be as transparent as possible about everything that I was doing, how much I got, how I spent it. I have every single receipt for every single thing I've ever bought. Um, And it's astounding again, also just how far a dollar goes in a country like Poland. Like, how much $250 can buy in foods fresh from a farm, like, like Mm -hmm. hundreds of pounds of food, you know, that can feed a lot of people. And so, yeah, I just have been really, I'm just, for me, it's just normal. This is what you do. Like, and I think I've always loved history and I've always thought, you know, looking back at say World War II, which, you know, Poland, even where we are here, there's a rich history, like still available to see of World War II. And you think like, what would I have done? Who would I have been in that moment? And this is a different moment, but at least I can say like, I know who I am. I know what I did. And it's not about what I did, but it's about knowing that I am the kind of, like I, I acted on the kind of person that I think I am. I am actually that kind of person. And like, that makes me proud that, um, I did the right thing. You know, like you always mm-hmm. hope that you're going to make the right choice and do the right thing, and um, know really it it energized me if anything it's not like it wasn't a burden it was life-giving in many ways yeah yeah and i'm
2: going to make sure that we link just some some i'm going to ask you for just some additional resources because i know you mentioned some news resources that you lean into for for information Mm -hmm. on what's happening i think that's part of it is it's really tricky to know what to trust um And so I'm going to link some of those from you and then also just make sure that your social media is linked as well. And then if there's any specific need that we can share together and keep navigating together, because I think that these conversations are really important.
1: Yeah, Um, there's still definitely opportunities. If, like I said, if somebody gives, I'm always going to use every dollar towards um, helping a Ukrainian. It's so the The needs are going to continue. It's not. It's not going to stop. And um, it's a little slower. My social media. I post maybe like once a week about what we're doing, but um, you know, it's still happening on a daily basis. So. Cohen uh, gave me a joke Cohen likes jokes my son so it's a 10 year old joke but knock knock who's there spell spell who alright alright W-H-O W-H-O <laughs> thanks for listening to the giving gifts like share and subscribe this shows the shit spread some love and joy know that you are good